Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher if they don't. Today is August the 6th, 2013. This is episode 1180 of the Survival Podcast. And this episode is going to be called How Preppers Can Save the Ideals of America. Notice I didn't say How Preppers Can Save America. This is going to be an interesting show. Uh, during this show, you're probably going to feel very proud and very ashamed at different times. At times you're going to be feeling very uplifted, and at other times you might feel punched in the stomach or kicked between the legs. But it's a show that we have to do. It's a show that I got up this morning, and I'll tell you the God's honest truth, like some days I did not know what today's show was going to be when I got out of bed. I did not know what today's show was going to be when I walked my geese this morning. I didn't know what the show was going to be when I uh, let the chickens out of the chicken house or checked on my garden. I didn't know what the show was going to be about when I sat down and answered tons of email, continuing to deal with this BS drama from freaking Chris Dwayne and having to spend a couple hours to get through that. I didn't know what the show was going to be, even as I had finished up all comments on the blog, setting up some stuff on the new Walking to Freedom forum for people, and uh, handling all of the blog comments and things like that. About 15 minutes ago, I sat down. And I looked at the archives of a blog, like I do sometimes, to get some ideas. And the idea for this show came to me. This show has had exactly 15 minutes of prep work done for it, including typing out the show notes, verifying one or two things in my memory on Google. And yet I think it'll go down as one of the shows that really wakes up a lot of people to why we do what we do and why what we're doing is so important and the true nature of our past, our future, and the promise of a past that was never yet delivered. Before I get to that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today is Harvest Eating, the awesome chef Keith Snow, who I finally had the pleasure to meet in person in Missoula, Montana, just a few weeks ago. He's a great guy. He'll teach you how to cook seasonally and locally and how to make cooking a life skill. He has some great products as well. You can check out his website at HarvestEating.com. And he has an awesome podcast. If you check out his podcast, uh, you'll learn a ton. And if you're looking for a place to just get a bunch of recipes, that not, that's not what Keith's all about. He's about teaching you and empowering you to cook well. And if you're going to be gardening and growing your own food and, and, and you know partaking in long-term storage food and things like that, it's a great idea to become a great cook. Uh, MREs get old fast. As an old soldier, I can tell you that. But uh, when you get creative and you learn how to cook, you can make anything wonderful. Chef Keith will teach you how to do that. And someday, we might need to be popping up some number 10 cans and making them into something more than just dump and stir chicken a la king. Just saying. Check him out today, HarvestEating.com, and make sure you subscribe to his podcast if you're not a subscriber already. Next up, Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason. Jeff Gleason, the Berkey Guy, sells something called Berkey Water Filtration Systems. I know it's shocking that the Berkey Guy would sell you Berkey's. But, you know, why would you get your Berkey from Jeff, the Berkey guy? Well, why would you get your Berkey from anybody but the Berkey guy if you could get it from the Berkey guy? Seriously, though, Berkey water filtration systems are one of the best systems out there. They're extremely economical. They have a bit of a cost up front. But, man, long term, those things just are just the most economical solution I can find. They have no moving parts. They can't fail. The filters last for dang near ever. And uh, can even be rinsed out and continuously used for a very, very long time, producing thousands of liters of water uh, before replacement. Uh, and Jeff, being the Berkey guy, is one of the uh, leading sellers of Berkeys in the world, gets some of the best pricing, has an incredible relationship with the factory, and can help you out. And he's a madman about customer service. He also has some other great stuff available on his website for your prepping needs, such as Mountain House food, uh, long-term storage food, and Jeff does a discount on Mountain House all the time. He's the only person I know that does that. You'll find that discount and other discounts on the Berkey Guy and the MSB. So not only is he a great sponsor that's been with us for years, not only does he have a great product at a great price, not only is he great at customer service, he's a great supporter of the show as well. So when you need a Berkey or anything related to a Berkey, check out Directive21. That's his website, Directive21.com first. Best way to visit Jeff, the Berkey Guy, Gleason's Keith Snow of Harvest Eating, and all of our sponsors 
would be to come to the survivalpodcast.com first and click on the banner. Some of them have special deals for you that you'll only see if you do that. I don't really track that or anything. It doesn't benefit me. I just want to make sure you're dealing with my actual sponsors and not a brand pirate. Because if you build a brand in this day and age, somebody will pirate it as soon as it has any value. Uh, next up, I want to remind you guys about the Member Support Brigade. If you join my Member Support Brigade, you'll help support this show. At a whopping 18.3 cents per episode, you'll get discounts to over 40 vendors. You get every episode of the Survival Podcast ever produced. Today, that would be 1,180 episodes. All the old episodes are in convenient zip files of 24 zip files per block and available for you to download there. There's over $200 worth of free ebooks, uh, and there's discounts to 40 vendors and some content you won't find anywhere else. If you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active due to your prior service, or a first responder like a paramedic, EMT, or a firefighter, and you email me before, not after, but before you join with service discount in the subject line, and in one or two sentences tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did, I will get back to you with a discount code before you join that will save you even more money on a product that already pays you back over and over again if you're buying stuff in the preparedness industry anyway. Uh, with that said, I want to get into the, the topic of today's show. And I want to open up with something that I think a lot of flag-waving Americans need to get a grip on. Waving a flag and supporting a war does not make you a patriot. It, it does in the way that the word is often used, you know, but it really doesn't if you look at what the word is supposed to mean. If you say that you're a patriotic American, yet you don't understand American both our, 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 our greatness and our faults, then you're deceiving only yourself. And it makes me think of a famous quote by Samuel Johnson. Patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen online defending a position and then fall back eventually to, but I'm a patriot, you're not a patriot. It's ridiculous. It's like a reverse slur, right? So by saying I'm patriotic, it means inherently that since you disagree with me, you must not be. Or they'll say something like dissent is the hallmark of patriotism. Dissent of what? See, the issue at stake when it's liberty is important. Or that patriotism must be coupled with morality. So we must have laws that even though they're going to interfere with people not harming anyone are based on morality. There's certain things people shouldn't do. But who are you to decide what's moral? And if you are to decide that today, who is to decide what is moral tomorrow? You might find yourself in the minority very quick. That's why this nation is truly designed to be a republic not a democracy. When people come out with a poll and say, well, it now shows that 56% of Americans want this, I don't give a shit. I actually care about what the Republic's Constitution says, what the ideals of the nation are, and even when I disagree with the concept, I agree with the reality. And what I mean is if there's something they go, well, if we did this, it would be great. And I go, yeah, you know what? Actually, I think that would be a good thing. I really do. But when I look at it, I don't see a constitutional basis for government having the authority to do this. Then even though I think that the result might be good, I don't want it done because it violates the principles of our nation. Because the founding law should be the founding foundation that holds the whole damn thing together. And ignoring parts of it when it's convenient leads to other parts of it being ignored when it's not convenient for you. This is the America we live in today. And if we are going to have an honest conversation about where we are, how we got here, where we're going, we have to start out with the things that are true and untrue about our revisionist belief of who we are and what we are. Let me start out with a statement that is both truth and a lie, and our entire nation is based on it, even though the, the truth is even the part of it that's true has never been fully realized, and certainly wasn't realized at the time that it was written. All men are created equal. It is very important that we understand what that statement is supposed to mean versus what people want it to mean. What people want it to mean today is that all men are equal, and of course men being mankind and including women, and that means that everybody's equal, everybody's the same. But everybody's not equal, everybody's not the same. Most people can run faster than me. I'm not a fast sprinter. Many people can't run as far as I can. I'm a pretty good distance runner. Those two things are perfect examples of where all men are not created equal. If all men were created equal, there wouldn't be such a thing as winning a gold medal in the Olympics, 
let alone winning a silver or a bronze or not getting one at all. If all men were created equal, then everybody would be able to run the 100 meters at the exact same speed. There would not be people that win Pulitzer Prizes. There would not be people that win Nobel Prizes because everybody would be able to do the same thing equally well. All men are not created equal when it comes to ability. And it was never intended to be the way that it was taken. And by taking it out of context, we have used it to push a socialist agenda. A is not getting equal results as B, therefore there's, it's unfair. Well, no one says, well, it's not fair that you know Jack Spierko doesn't get to play football for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jack Spierko may love the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jack Spierko may love football. Jack Spierko may have been an okay football player, but when it comes to that level, Jack Spierko sucks, so I don't get to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. All men are not created equal. I can't throw a football, okay? I can't throw a football the way Big Ben can. And I will never be able to. And no law or regulation will ever change that, ever. So all men are not created equal, but all men also are created equal. The way that all men are created equal is we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. If you take off the second part, the first part becomes a lie. And lies are used to sell shit to us today in America that has no place here. And I would like to change the word inalienable when people study this today or give it a synonym or something because people like don't believe understand what it means. It's not a word we would even know in today's linguistics if it wasn't penned in one of the most important documents of our history. If that word wasn't used at that time for that document, most people in America today would not even be aware that it existed. It has become an antiquated word. The best way I would describe inalienable rights today would be with the term natural rights. Natural rights. Rights that you have because you exist. Life, liberty, and the pursuit, not the guarantee of happiness. But there's more to it than that. A natural right would mean that until you in, in, you know, interfere with the right of another, that you are to be left the hell alone. That never happened in America. There was never a time in America where natural rights were fully realized. There certainly was a time when natural rights for many were recognized far more than they are today. And our downfall was not doing it for everybody at the same time. In many ways, the oppression of women and the sin of slavery are what prevented the promise from America from ever occurring. And you can go on and say, well, look how many men died for the Civil War. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We made a statement and our founding that was a promise that was never fulfilled. In fact, we made a statement in our nation's founding that we knew could not be true at the time that it was made. That's why it was a promise for what could be. And many of the things that our nation was founded on were accepted by the men who did it as things that could not be at that time. And they were put down so that they might be fulfilled. Because frankly, at the time this nation was founded, you couldn't get half the colonies to come into it if you told them to give up slavery, and you couldn't get most of the men to get into it if you told them that women were to have an equal station in life. As beings, we had not yet matured enough to recognize those things. I think our founders had more faith in us than we were deserving of on those regards because it took a long time to get where we are today. But at least we're here. And if many on the other side of that argument would now admit that we're here, and accept now that it's up to them to fulfill their own dreams instead of asking someone else to do it for them under the name of being equal and expecting equal results would come a little further. But we can't acknowledge that if we won't acknowledge how we created that in the first place. And I want people to understand exactly 
how screwed up some of the things that we did are. I'm going to give you, and I could do a whole show, Evils of America. I don't want to do that. But for those that have never heard any of these things, I think it's important if you're going to say, hey, let's clean up our house and go forward, that you don't have false nostalgia and revisionist history of, well, we need to get back to the way things were back when. When back when was just as bad or in some ways worse. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you two things that are absolutely 100% historical fact. And if you want to, you can verify them for yourself. In World War II, Nazi Germany started developing fairly advanced fighter aircraft. These fighter aircraft were very effective at taking out the bombers that we were sending, both us and Britain, across the English Channel to bomb Germany so that we could eventually invade and win the war. Say what you want to about Germans, uh, Germans, uh, Germany's actions in the war, but the actions of their scientists were truly revolutionary and were light years ahead in some ways of anything being done anywhere else in the world. But they had a problem, natural resources. And these new planes used an additive in their fuel that Germany was not capable of producing. The company that produced that additive was a company called IG Farben. IG Farben was a United States-owned company, a subsidiary of Standard Oil. Standard Oil at the time was headed by a man named George Bush. Not the one that was president, not the other one that was president, the older Bush's father. Old man Bush was at the head of this little cartel and selling this additive via IG Farben to Nazi Germany while his son, the first President Bush, was to his credit flying aircraft in the war in combat. What kind of person will sell to an enemy while his son is placing his life at risk? That's one. I'm not going to go deep into it. I know some of you don't believe me right now. Look up IG Farvin and you'll find the whole track back to this. This is public record. It is undeniable truth. A little bit lesser known, also relating to oil. There's many things in, in our history that are like this that don't relate to oil, but this is just an easy one. We had a little conflict in the 60s and 70s called Vietnam War. 58,000 Americans, I believe, is the number officially that never came home. Most presumed dead. Few people believe there might be some POWs out there. I think if there were, they're probably not there anymore. Huge sacrifice made by this country. Massive sacrifice made by this country. Young men who were about to venture off into different walks of life and, and pursue their dreams received a letter in the mail. And in the old army cadence, we used to say, go to war, go to jail. And that's pretty much what the letter said. Most of these Americans didn't run across the border to Canada or simply hide out in a hippie compound and wait for it to be over. Most of them answered the call, poor and wealthy alike. They went over to this foreign country most of them had never even heard of to fight a war that we eventually lost, a war that never even mattered, and a war where in the words of my father, it was impossible to tell the communist jungle from the free jungle. During such a sacrifice, you would think that we would do everything we could to defeat the enemy and win the war. Well, Shell Oil Company was selling fuel to North Vietnam during the entire thing. If you'd like to know more about it, you can read a book called Fueling the War, Revealing an Oil Company's Role in Vietnam. It was written by a person who was part of Dutch Shell Oil uh, during this time and actually partook in doing a lot of this. So those are just two things. And... The reason I bring them up is if you sit around waving the freaking flag and think you're a patriot and everything America does is good, and you let some dumbass on talk radio explain to you why it really wasn't that bad that we gave, you know, smallpox-laden blankets to the Indians, and it, did, it didn't happen as much as they say it did, and like, like that's supposed to make the whole thing go away. If you allow that crap to happen, there's no way you can be part of the revolution that I'm talking about today of trying to make America become what it was promised to be. You can't clean up your house if you don't acknowledge the junk that's piled up inside of it. 
You can't be honorable if you don't acknowledge the dishonor of your past your pre and your present and the dishonor that's already in place to be part of your future. All of this must be acknowledged. We don't need to spend an hour raking America over the coals and talking about all the reasons we suck. We just need to acknowledge that there's some really bad shit there. Until we do, our mind will not be right. That's why I brought those up. We also really need to look at where we're going. And be honest about the fact, will America be here a hundred years from now? And if anybody says anything other than I don't know, they're full of shit or delusional. You don't know. Will there be a place called America? Likely. Will it look like it does today? I don't know. Will it be made up of 50 states? Or 55 states? Or 12? I don't know. I know that what we're doing is not sustainable as a nation economically and imperialistically across the world. It really isn't. We're not designed to be the world's police force. We never were. But who will if we won't? You know, maybe we don't need to be deciding for other nations how they exist. Well, our freedom's under attack, really? Really, do you think anybody wants a war with the United States of America? Not a little terrorist-driven conflict in some little crap hole of a crap hole in a little hidden part of the world where we can go out and blow each other's guts out, but a real war. You think any nation wants a real war with the United States of America? We may have done a lot of bad shit, but we got really good at it, and we can blow the shit out of some stuff. You don't think that our military is strong enough that any nation out there looks at it and goes, I don't want that. You think Saddam Hussein believed his own bullshit when he said he'd fill the desert with the blood of Americans, or do you think he already knew that the writing was on the wall? Do you think even the Chinese, who have an incredible military, want a war with the United States? Hell no. Nobody wants a war with this nation. If anybody does, it has more to do with how many places we insist on interfering than how strong or weak we are perceived to be. Do you know there's nations that don't even have a military? Costa Rica doesn't have a military. Has it for like 25 years. I'm not saying we should follow suit, but I'm saying if the threat of invasion is really that high, <laughs> how can a nation exist with no military? Oh, we'd step in. Eh, really? That's that's what that's what stops it. There's plenty of places we were willing to step step in and didn't stop a war. Maybe it's because they don't mess with anybody. I don't know. So again, I don't want to beat up on us. I just want to say, this is the truth. And then I want to say, well, what is the what is the beauty in America? Our nation has done things no other nation has ever even dreamed of doing. The conspiracy theorists that think no man ever walked on the moon, I can't help you. We did it. It's, a, it's, it's incredible that we did that. Especially at the time that it was done. If you look at the greatest technologies in the world today, even if they're being cranked out by the Japanese or the Chinese or the Taiwanese or whatever today, most of it originated right here. As much oppression as we have in this country, most nations do have more. I'm not saying that makes what we're doing okay, but most nations do have more. There still is not another country out there where as many of your rights are recognized and your opportunity to be successful is as high as it is here doesn't exist. It's getting more and more the case that it's not so, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. America did fulfill being the land where anybody could dream of anything, and if they were strong enough and talented enough and successful enough and hardworking enough, they could achieve it. We've been lied to about that, and that's the other thing we have to be honest about. Where, where are we great and we've been lied to about? See, what you do if you want to confuse the people of a nation is you tell them they're really great for doing the things that are really terrible, And you tell them they're really terrible at doing the things that are great. That way they'll be very very divided among each other and they'll fight each other while you and your fascist you know, cronies collaborate and rape the nation of its wealth. So we've done some pretty amazing things. And we've made some pretty amazing promises. And that promise, again, was that anybody could succeed. 
But the lie has been, well, but look, this guy worked really hard and he didn't succeed. He's not lazy. Okay, fine. Is he smart? Did he have a good idea? Did he execute on it well? You can work your ass off and get nowhere. I mean, I'm reminded of a fly trying to get out of an open window that doesn't see the opening and continuously flies against the pane of glass. That fly will work his ass off till he dies, but he won't get out the window. It's up to him to figure out, hey, maybe I need to try a different way to do this. We can't have equal results because we wouldn't get any results at all if we did. See, and I think that regardless of what this nation looks like in a hundred years, that its ideals can live on. I, I think that the promise that is America is universal. I don't think America's way of life, America's flag, America's version of the way things should be as far as the execution of them should, should be considered universal. The way many of our presidents have told you they are when they've justified blowing the shit out of kids and women and saying, oh, we don't do that anymore. If you believe that, again, people, there are certain things that if you believe, I do have the deed to the Golden Gate Bridge if you would like to buy it. But we did make some promises. We made promises that government would be limited. We made promises that individuals' rights would be respected and acknowledged as being pre-existing the formation of government. We made a promise that participation in the republic was voluntary. We made a lot of promises we haven't kept. Understanding those promises, though, are a big part of rebuilding whenever this thing craps the bed, and it's going to. If you look at our future, it's not pretty. You have the most powerful nation in the world, military and financially. The military power is being mitigated not by becoming less powerful or by the other nations becoming far more powerful, but other nations becoming at least able to do equal damage. It's the Cold War all over again, this time with China. Under, thankfully, a little bit more friendly terms. We have the ability, and, and, and Russia still has the ability to annihilate the whole planet as we do, as China does. And once you have a couple big kids on the block that are just going to beat the hell out of each other and both of them are going to end up losing, you get some stability. So, militarily, you know, I'm not so concerned. Economically. And then economically weakens the military capability as well. Economically, our nation is worth rope. The most powerful economic power that's ever existed. What, what, and this is the case. We've been a bigger, mil, uh, bigger bully in the world with money than we have with, with weaponry. Okay? That's, that's the facts. I can't go into it, but we have. We've manipulated so much by using our tremendous economic wealth. Again, we've done some really great things for people too. I'm not saying we, I'm just saying we, we've been a bully. There's a lot of nations out there that are really unhappy with us about that. What happens to the bully in the schoolyard when he becomes weak? Something happens to weaken him. Ostracized, beat up, kicked aside, ignored. We're about to go from the economic bully of the world to second tier or third tier status. Which, which isn't a terrible status to, to have. As long as you weren't first for so long. There's plenty of nations that would like to be second or third largest economic power in the world. They would just be overjoyed with that. There's plenty that would like to be the tenth. But when you fall from number one, you fall from a high place. And when you fight from a, fall from a high place, it hurts. And it's going to tear this nation apart. And the reason I bring up old wounds like oppression, like slavery, like racism. We better get as much a cap on that shit now as we can. And not the false, politically correct bullshit, where if you refer to somebody and as you're describing them, you say, oh, he was a black guy. They say, oh, oh well, that's racist. Well, why? If I said he was wearing a red jacket, it's not racist. If I said he's white, it's not racist. But if I if I mention that the individual is black when I'm talking about him, that that's not what I'm talking about. And you people that think that you're part of the you're a bigger part of the problem than the real racist. Because a real racist is obvious, and they're becoming more and more ostracized. But these divides of wealth 
of class, of race, ethnic background, and religion that we look at today and think are so terrible, you wait till people don't eat and you watch what happens to those divisions. And you watch the dynamic that it creates if you allow this shit to continue. You wait till somebody is afraid that their child's not going to eat and thinks that somebody with a different skin color is responsible for it because the person trying to cling the power tells them it's true. You wait until one religious group blames another and calls the thing God's judgment and either side believes it. You wait until somebody looks at their elderly parents and realizes they're not going to make it because the social security check, whether it comes or not, doesn't buy enough to feed them. You wait until this nation goes through what Argentina and the Soviet Union went through, and instead of being those people, we're a bunch of spoiled freaking brats with very little left of true community. Very little left of preparedness and resilience and self-reliance. You wait until a teacup generation of divided fools experiencing experience the crumbling of a republic around them. And all the things they take for granted aren't there anymore. Even 10% of what they took for granted aren't there anymore. And you watch the power struggles that will rise up. And you will see fascism in America at a greater level than any time. For those of you who haven't heard this before, by the way, we are a fascist country. The definition of fascism is one of economics and politics, not of concentration camps and gas chambers. That was something a fascist nation did. There's been many other recognized fascist nations that didn't do any of those things, and they were still fascist. What you have today is neo-fascism. Instead of government directing business and leveraging the class differential, you have business directing government and level, le uh, leveraging the class differential, where both sides agree that it's better for both business and the state if those people play a role in mediating the differences between us. If you mediate the difference between members of a society, do you know what you're doing? You're using them to your own end. That is what your government and that is what the corporatocracy do in America and not are doing now, have been doing for centuries, almost since we were founded. Black against white. Hispanics are the, the, the cause of all the problems with immigration. If we just built a wall in Mexico, folks, that wall may in time be used more to keep you in than to keep them out. Think it can't happen. Then crack a history book. And why is it that I believe only preparedness can restore any of the promise of America's ideals or bring it back? Because you cannot stand if you're not prepared. And this is a time where we need courage and fortitude and honor and decency. And not courage like, well, I'll die for my children. Courage like, I will live for my family. Not courage from across an ocean, and you're willing to vote for the guy that's willing to do more explosions in another nation. But courage of, if I help this person, it may harm me in the future. I may be labeled as one of them simply for helping them. You think humanity isn't like that? I know of a verified story in Bosnia where one family's men came in and raped the women of a family that had been their neighbors for years. And the families had never had any animosity. But the family thought, well, if we do this, we'll show that we're loyal to our side and they won't see us as collaborators. For those of you that don't know, that whole conflict didn't last very long. It didn't take long for things like that to happen. That happened in the first couple weeks of the conflict. Do you know why? When people are scared, they go into survival mode. A survivalist doesn't act in fear. 
The survivalist is prepared before it happens so that there is no fear. Or that the fear, and, and I wouldn't even say that. That's not right. So that the fear is mitigated. I'm afraid of things. You know? I really am. I used to participate in some pretty interesting, I would call them dangerous sports. I do a lot less of that now because I have more to lose. Fear is healthy. If I'm standing on a street corner and I see a car careening towards me that looks like it's going to get off the road and hit me, I'll get the hell out of the way. Fear is a healthy thing, but if it's not kept in check with logic and reason, it leads to chaos and disorder and breakdown. If you don't think that your fellow Americans will tear apart the country with a belief that if I can just get a little bit more, I'll make it, and actually destroy themselves, you're just not a student of history. And the only solution is preparedness. It's the only solution that we can have. It's the only thing that will work. It's the only thing that can work. Is a nation that begins the rebuilding before the destruction. See, that's what I'm really, that's what I've been trying to teach America since 2008. The time to rebuild the nation isn't after its collapse, it's before its collapse. We need to be putting the footers of the new buildings in today. It's a metaphor if you don't get it. Before the buildings of, that were built a century ago crumble. When the whole thing falls apart, the construction project of putting it back together already needs to be in progress. See, people will follow the path that they feel has the greatest chance for their individual success. You can talk about equality and kumbaya and everything else all you want to, but that's not the truth. Humans are motivated by self-interest. Well, that's bad. I don't care. I don't give a shit that you think that's bad. It doesn't change that it's real. The magical unicorn is not going to fart a rainbow for you and give you a wish-granting angel. It is not going to happen. You have to accept reality as it is, the way that it is, and understand what that means about the future. And what that means is as this nation begins to crumble, if people go into a huge state of fear, and no matter what we do, many will, they will take and steal and kill and blame and burn and destroy driven by fear. And some of it is going to happen. There are people that are too far gone. And sadly, many of those people that are causing the most destruction, sadly for them, what they'll do to survive will click, quickly lead to many of them ending up dead. There's more and more people like us every day. We don't want to harm anybody. But if that shit starts, and you try to harm our, us, our families, our communities... You will get a dirt nap. We're trained, we're prepared, and we're ready. The day the government falls down and can't do it, we will do it for ourselves. We've already made the plan, we've already made the commitment, we already have the capability, we're done. We're not interested in causing this shit to happen. We don't want this shit to happen. Every bit of government slander and industry slander and shit from the Southern Poverty Law Center that says we do is nothing but bullshit. No one wants this less than us. We're just realists and think, you guys are going to screw it up and do it, and we're going to be ready. But it can't just be that. It can't just be, I've got my stockpile, I've got my group, I've got my shit, and if somebody comes and takes it from me, I'm going to put them down. That's 10%. 10% of what we need to be doing. How long can you go that way? Oh, I've got a year's worth of food. Let's see if it really lasts a year. I've got a great group. Let's see if they really stick together. You have to have the plan for the other side. And the plan needs to be implemented now. If there's a spot of dirt that we can put something that will feed people and we can get away with it, put it there. Not just on your land. Start cracking open peach pits and start gorilla gardening peach trees. Now, if you know that, you can reproduce seed, uh, tree, a peach trees from seed. You little place where they grow, start doing it. Cherries, anything you can grow from seed. Apples, well, it makes crab apples. I don't give a shit, you'll eat it when you're hungry. If it will grow, especially without your concern, and you can stick it somewhere, do it. Well, it won't be mine. Great, it'll be somebody else's. 
Maybe they won't come and take from you because they'll be able to find something. And it's just one step. Yeah, put your groups together. And I'm not talking about groups like in a novel where they all get together and fight a guerrilla war. Put your groups together that will mutually support each other. Do you realize you may have to establish governments? Do you realize that? You may have to establish temporary or even long-term government apparatuses in absence of the ones that are currently there. That at some point a group of people might have to be strong enough to pull a city or a town together and say, you know what, everything's gone at that level. And we certainly aren't going to ask the people that screwed this up to be the ones that lead us toward fixing it. So we're going to have to do it for ourselves. And we're going to have to make certain agreements. Like you don't steal from each other. We're going to have to have some way to enforce that. And we're going to have to make sure that people aren't accused of something and punished for it when they didn't do it. We're going to have to make sure that people can feel safe enough that they can start fixing the problem. And we may have to do that very quickly. That's the kind of group I'm talking about. Because you know what will make people play ball? You know what, guys? Get on board with this. We have a plan. We can make sure everybody eats for the next two months. That'll give us some time to figure out what to do. People follow the path that's in their best self-interest. Government understands that very well. And what they've done really, really well is get very, very good at convincing different people that different paths are best for them and sending them down opposing paths. And then blaming those individuals for the other one's problems as the, as the master manipulator. When I talk about setting up an interim government, I'm not talking about manipulating people. I'm talking about establishing enough legitimacy and safety so that people can work together. Actually, what I'm talking about is the way a group of anarchists work together. People think that anarchism is you know, without rule of law. No. It's without somebody that's not involved with you deciding what you get to do or not. They say there's no ethics or morality. They're wrong. Real anarchists that live by that code, if one member of the group starts to harm another member of the group, it's not long before everybody's there going, what's up? We need to square this away. Now. Most of you don't know that. It's counter to what you've been told. I want you to start doing something for me, guys. I want you to start questioning everything. If you do that, you'll start, you know, going, well, is this true or not? And many times you'll track down something you've always believed to be true and you'll find out, you know what? That really is true. That's great. You don't have to change that part of your viewpoint of the world. But you're going to track down some other stuff and you're going to find out it's bullshit. And you'll find it on both sides. You'll start tracking down some of the stuff like I told you today about IG Farvin and Shell Oil Company. And you'll start to think, well, we as a nation were all wrong in that. And you'll find that the opposing nation had equal evil. It wasn't the good versus the bad. It was the bad versus the bad in many instances. And when evil confronts evil, often some of the evil of the losing side is mitigated. Not because the evil opponent actually cared, just they run their evil operation differently. All of this has to be understood. All of this has to be understood. I recently told a friend who I've been a mentor to for a while, who's made some mistakes and been called on that and showed up and, and put up on it, who said to me, don't let me do that again. And I said, buddy, let me tell you something. When you're teaching somebody to swim... There's a time when you take the floaties off and throw their ass in the deep end and let them deal with it. And you are there now. And the response came back, I get it. I'm going to make it happen. And that was good to see. Folks, you might get your ass thrown in the deep end of the pool at any time now. I don't think it's coming tomorrow. I think that this nation has one big cycle left. And that cycle could run five years or 15. I don't know, and I don't pretend to know. But I could also be very, very wrong about that. And if something went totally shit the bed next year, I would be shocked, but not really. 
Because likely, when this happens, not if, when this happens, when this nation falls from the grace that it currently experiences, it will look like to the average idiot that it happened overnight. All of us look back and go, it's happening in front of us right now. But as we lead up to that, that oh shit moment where the average moron figures it out and everybody freaks out, There'll be a lot of signs that it's coming. It'll be very clear. We'll know. We'll start to see things. And I'm telling you some of the things I'm really worried about now. I just covered this week with the government lying about the debt. It's one thing that they say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. But when they start going, well, the debt's not moved. The public debt has not moved up or down for over 70 days now. That's a real problem, folks. That's a real problem. And sooner or later, that shit will trickle down and it will start to bust investor confidence. And then the only thing the Fed can do is buy more debt. How long can that happen? I don't know. Longer than I ever thought. Probably longer than I believe right now. But I do know it can't last forever. I do know the consequences are irrefutable. And I do know that every time it's ever been done in the history of the world, the consequences have been largely the same. An empire crumbles. I do know that one day, as a resident of whatever state you're in, you may find yourself no longer part of the United States of America. And it may not have anything to do with anybody being a separatist or a revolution or anything like that. It may be a nation going, can't afford you anymore. That'll never happen. Really? Talk to someone from Belarus. Talk to somebody from the Ukraine. Those nations didn't wage a war of independence, folks. It wasn't like, oh, Mother Russia's weak. Let's attack now and get our independence. They fell out. They just fell out. And a lot of people cheered and waved that old flag that they, they had kept around, waiting for that day that they would breathe free again. And then they went, wait a minute. What do we do now? I remember a Russian girl, she was actually from Russia, that cut my hair one time. And the way she put it was so flatly simple and so flatly naive at the same time. She said, well, we tried communism and that didn't work. And now we're trying capitalism and that doesn't seem to work either. That is the mind of a citizen so oppressed by its state that it just believes whatever it's told. And don't mock that lady because we have far more brainwashed people in this country. Far more. When I talk about surviving what's coming, I am not talking about Mad Max. Though you may see some parts of it that will look that way. Something will fill the power vacuum. And my fear is it will be far more malevolent and far more encroaching on liberty and freedom than anything we've ever seen before. And some of this breakup stuff that could happen, and I know some of you just don't think it can, and I'm sorry, I've, I've done enough research now on the way these things work that I know that it's not that it's going to happen, but it could happen that way. And in some of those breakups, the, the, the region that breaks apart could be far worse than what they've left. Not every, you know, secession, not every uh, breakup of an empire results in the, the individual republics or nations that are formed out of it being more free than they were. Often, they're far less free. Because people that aren't prepared will take the deal when the devil offers it. But they will. We'll turn the lights back on. We'll put you back to work. Your children will be safe to go to school again. Just get in line and follow what we say. And, you know, in the movies, it's always like that. Real power tyrants don't make it that obvious. They sell it to you. I consider myself a good marketer. I really do. In fact, I consider myself a master marketer. And that's because I understand human psychology and behavior, and I know that the secret to great marketing is to have a great product, find the people that really can genuinely benefit from it, and effectively communicate to them that that's the right thing for them. 
And I consider that being a master marketer. But there are people that are master marketers, but they're master manipulation marketers. These are your government types. They make you believe that their product is the one for you, even though you're probably diametrically opposed to it and will be harmed by it. That's why Monsanto gets along with them so well. That's why Pfizer gets along with them so well. They're the same people. They're the same people. You are a tool. You are to be used. You are nothing but a piece on a chessboard, and you are a lowly pawn. They don't care about you. They care about all the pieces on the board collectively, because that's where their power comes from. But if they have to sacrifice you, or harm you, or take from you and give to another to maintain their fiefdom, they'll do it, and they won't lose a wink of sleep at night. These people are the ones that have the greatest ability to rise to power. And when the shit crumbles, don't think they'll all run away. They'll all scramble to steal their little piece of it. And some of them are second-tier ass clowns right now, have a vision of becoming a top-tier ass clown. And they may very well succeed in that effort. It is all of these things that mean we need to be prepared. But how does that preserve the ideals of America if this is our future? If we actually do it, they'll fail. I'm not saying they're going to fail, because I don't know if I believe that we'll do it. I just know that we can. I know that the solutions are right in front of us, and I know that the solutions are simple. Be responsible for yourself. That does not mean build your credit, get a MasterCard, a student loan. That means design a life for yourself that where you provide at least some of your own needs. If everybody did that, we could stand in the face of anything other than an asteroid or full nuclear war. Anything else would be survivable. And things of that level, don't worry about it. If it happens, your problems are freaking over and we'll find who's out, who's right about what part of the afterlife. Collectively. We'll meet there and maybe have a beer if I'm right. Maybe not. I don't really know. I'm actually at peace with that part. But I'm not at peace with the promises that were made being unfulfilled by the people they were made to. Do you understand something? You are the recipient of these promises. All men created equal and endowed with natural rights by their very creation and having the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. You are the recipient of that freaking promise. Well, who's supposed to make sure that we get it? You are. You are. You are the guardians of the republic. We all are. All 300 plus million of us. We are the guardians of the republic. And in mass, we are asleep on our post. And those of us that are awake, we waste our energy running around trying to wake up other people while they slumber instead of guarding the post and being the example. Provide for yourself. Provide for your family. Understand what true independence is. Understand what true adulthood is. Don't raise your children to be freaking teacups. Let them face adversity and help them get through to the other side. Because God, they're going to need it. I mean, the real misery probably is what your children, you people that have children that are four and five and six years old, they are going to be the ones probably at our age. They're going to see the worst of this. They're going to have to be the ones to fix it. Do you think it'll be that long before it happens? I don't know. I think if it happens tomorrow, th th that's still true. I don't think this is, oh, it happens and then it all flushes out and we're back to normal in, in, in five years. I think this is a multi-generation rebuild when it tears itself apart. I think your grandchildren will still be fixing it. And your great-grandchildren, if we 
actually pull off being here for the fight. When I say pull off being here, there'll be people here. They might even call it America. Again, I don't know. But will any of us be left? Will any of us that understand what natural rights are be left? Will any of us that actually believe in the promise that was never fulfilled be left? Will any of us that actually believe it's possible be left? I don't know, but I know I'm not going down without a freaking fight. I know that's what I do here every day. I know that's why I teach you everything from how to store food to how to grow it to how to preserve it to how to kill a freaking deer. What end of a freaking bullet goes in the chamber first? What a gun is? What a rifle is? What the difference is? Why you have a right to self-defense? Why any argument made against that is null and void, not just because the Constitution says so, but because it's true. Because as an individual with the right to life, you inherently have the right to defend that life and to defend the life of your, your family and your fellow citizens. It's inherent. It's inalienable. Not because a document says so. Because it is. The sun doesn't rise because somebody made a document that said, the sun shall rise. We even have documents that tell you, based on where you live, when it's going to come up and when it's going to go down. It almost looks as if the sun obeys the document. But the document obeys the sun. Changing the document will not change the solar path. Changing the document that says you have a right to defend yourself won't change the fact that you have a right to defend yourself. But how long will it be before people collectively forget that? I'm fed up with it. I'm fed up with trying to explain it in a way that's nice that other people will understand. I'm done with that. I'm explaining it now as someone who has reached a point of completely being unwilling to compromise the principle. We might make a compromise, because I teach you about incrementalism, how to use their own weapon against them to tear down these things that oppress others and us. But when it comes to the principle, no, I'll stand on the principle. You don't like it, I don't care. You don't have to. You don't even have to agree with it. Just stop interfering with other people's rights. That's all I ask of anybody. Get out of the way. I don't like what they're doing. Great, don't participate in it. Don't you have something... To, this is what I feel like saying to America. With all the bitching that's constantly done about, well, he did this and they did that, don't you have something productive to do? My, my, this is my favorite line is an employer and is a leader in the military. When anybody was bitching about anything, Or just sitting on the rest. Do you have something productive to be doing? And if the, if the answer was a roundabout, because nobody ever has the guts to say no directly to your face, right? Without this roundabout way of kind of saying no. Let me put you to work. So why don't we do that? Why don't we put America to work? Not in a work program, but in fixing this shit. Produce our own food. Produce our own energy. If you see something you don't like, go fix it. Don't ask for permission. Don't go get a permit. Don't file a piece of paper. Go do it. Let somebody get in your face for providing a solution. And then say to all the people you're trying to help, Hey, see this? I brought you food. They said it's not healthy. Go tell them you want the food. And if the people you're trying to help go, I can't really, I mean, we, we don't want it that bad. Fine, go find somebody else. Go find somebody else to help. Keep helping until you find somebody that when somebody gets in your face for helping them, you don't fight the battle. The people you're helping say, you know what? Bullshit. Bullshit. We're not going to let it happen. This guy came here to help us. This group came here to help us. This church came here to help us. This family came here to help us. They're helping us. You're not going to stop them. And when you find somebody you're trying to help that's apathetic and doesn't do that, guess what? They don't deserve your help. Go find somebody else. Biggest thing, believe that the dream is a possibility. Believe that the promise is a possibility. I'm not saying believe it will happen. For all I know, we could blow the shit out of ourselves tomorrow morning. I don't know. But if you don't believe it's possible, you'll never even try.
You want somebody to jump over five feet, give them a six-foot hurdle. Well, our hurdle's about 100 foot tall right now, and you don't even get a pole. And there's no airbag on the other side of it when you come down. You still got to believe it's possible. You have no idea how much we could succeed if we just believed it was possible. You have to learn something from our military. There is no such thing as a task. There's a mission. If I have a mission and you're in the way, you might have to die, but the mission's getting done. If I'm in a, if I have a mission and the, the vehicle runs out of fuel, I'm on foot. If I have a mission and anything goes wrong, it's up to me to figure out how the hell to get it done. When it comes to accomplishing things in our society today, that needs to be the mindset. It's not a task. It's not on my to-do list. It's a freaking mission. We also had another saying. A problem with no apparent solutions. Do you know what we call that? Challenge. You have to change the mindset. What you do is 10%. Just like being able to defend what you have if things crumble apart is only 10%. You do and you have and your defense is 20% total of the equation. The mindset's 80 There's always assets. There's always tools. There's always a way. There's always something at your disposal if you have the knowledge for it, if you have the heart for it, and if you have the belief that it can be accomplished. And that stupid-ass Tony Robbins belief, if you believe anything's possible, it is. Bullshit. That's to sell you a tape. You get me to yell at you for free. You don't have to buy my tapes. What I mean is if you believe that something's possible, even if the to total thing you believe isn't fully realizable, it can't be done, or it can't be done in your life, but if you believe it, you can achieve much of it. We are finite mortal beings, my friends. We're finite mortal beings. We live... For a mouse fart in history. We don't have to do it all in our lifetimes. We just have to do something. That's what this show's about. That's what today's show's about, but that's what the whole show's about. That's what the show's about when I have a guy on teaching you how to keep bees. That's what I have a guy on talking about how to preserve your wealth, or a guy on, or me, talking about how to build a business for the future. It's all the same. It's all the same. Believe in the promises possibility and live your life as though it's true, even while it's not. Just don't blind yourself in doing so. Know why you're doing it and make it your driving force. And think about the fact that you only have so long to run in this race. And eventually you have to take that baton and pass it on to the next generation. And it's as much our responsibility to be prepared as to prepare them for that day. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way